it's very, very off the radar, very, very technical. I know, you just don't understand what this does. And as soon as you do, you'll switch everything. Hello and welcome. So we've got a really exciting one today. We've got Dave Collins and Exus with us. Um, we're going to be talking primarily about the four consensus changes and kind of how they've gone on and, and how successful they've been. Um, it should be a fairly a fairly nice show. Um, what I'd ask you guys to do in the chat, obviously, give us a give us a little message now just to make sure you're all there. But we're going to try and work through this in order. So we're going to start by doing a little introduction of who's Dave Collins, obviously lead lead developer, and what's he up to at the moment and then we're going to work through each of the each of the consensus changes so if you have a specific question at that point that'd be great if you have a more general question it'd be nice if you could leave that until the end and then we'll we'll try and fit in as, as many as we can the aim today is to go for about 45 minutes to an hour we don't want to wear dave out too much so try and um try and make this as informative as possible we'll try and keep on track as well so dave say hello <laughs> Hey everyone, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Ah, oh, fantastic. Exus. Hey guys, uh, thanks for joining us. Oh, fantastic stuff. No, it's I, I'm really looking forward to this. As I was saying to you guys in the chat before this, it's um it's an absolute pleasure to have Dave on and he's someone that I admire in the in the system and someone that can kind of talk very frankly about it and, and hopefully there'll be loads and loads and loads of information today. Um so let's just start then. We have a question from King King Solomon Mind. Um who says, um, I would enjoy to hear about um, Dave and what he's been up to and what drove him to crypto in the first place. Um, and how does he keep his intellectual fires burning to remain on top of his coding? <laughs> sure. Uh, well, I'd say the probably one of the main things that first drove me into cryptocurrencies is really having to deal with the fiat system uh, outside of the local area. I think a lot of people have really only ever dealt with, you know, stores or maybe working online within their own country. But as soon as you actually start trying to work with people outside of the country and you have to start sending money between countries, or if you have friends in other countries, it really is a hassle. And you start to have to answer all kinds of invasive questions. Uh, they won't even let you send it to certain countries if there's uh, any kind of uh, like a fraud alerts or these type of things going on. And so because I actually run other businesses, I frequently ran into these types of issues. And it's, uh, it's, it's a real issue if you, if you have to deal with that. Um, and as far as Bitcoin, you know, I kind of uh, saw pretty quickly that it solved a lot of these issues and it provided a, a great means to, to, to bypass uh, everything that, that I was suffering from really as far as those issues. And then upon digging into the technology a little bit, I, I kind of saw like this is actually a, a really great solution, uh, you know, to the to the base problem. And then, you know, part of uh, at the time I was working or still at that time, I still am, but is working for company zero. It had a different name at the time, but same uh, same organization, basically. And so, you know, we kind of started getting into looking at the, the, the software uh, at Bitcoin Core at the time. It wasn't even Bitcoin Core, it was Bitcoin D, but it was the really the only software for Bitcoin at the time that ran the network. And uh, most of us are also either have worked on or uh, have uh, or still do OpenBSD, which is the open source operating system. And so it's really highly focused on security. And we wanted to get at the time Bitcoin to run on OpenBSD. And once we started porting the code over, we realized that there was really quite a lot of issues within the implementation itself. 
and uh, didn't lend itself well. It was originally even written for Windows, uh, and so it had a lot of issues. Um, and at that time, we kind of decided, you know, it would probably be a good idea to, to go ahead and, and start working on another implementation so that we actually have diversity within the system. And that's kind of the, how everything got started as far as Bitcoin is concerned and getting involved into cryptocurrencies. Yeah, I, I must admit, I was the same. I've run a couple of other online online bits and pieces and um, having to deal with PayPal on a day-to-day -day basis and kind of taking transactions that way is, is an absolute massive pain. And I also like the idea of, of doing this, um, oops, <laughs> of making sure that there's there's multiple impl implementations. Um, so, I mean, in terms of what you've been up to in code, what's what's your main priority with with what's happened in code? I saw I saw that you were doing a lot of cleanup cleanup um, of obviously because we've moved these consensus. How's that all um, faring? All right. Well, at the moment, mainly the in fact for a little while now, the main thing that I've been kind of focusing on is the the core software for the network that runs everything, uh, which is DCRD. Um, you know, most of the things that people interact with are typically a little bit higher up the stack, whether that's uh, Decrediton or maybe some of the mobile wallets, or even just dealing directly with exchanges. So, you know, the the level that I mainly deal at is below the level that most people directly interact with, but it, it powers everything, right? It's, it's how everything works. And so it's really important for that to, if you want to be able to actually verify everything. Uh, um, I don't know how many of the people watching this have tried a lot of the other coins, for example, but most of them run into issues where you really can't verify the entire chain. Uh, it, it might take a week or two to, to do it if you even can at all. Um, you know, I'll avoid naming certain things, but you know, some of the most popular, some of the most popular coins, you can't even do it anymore. You really can't verify the whole chain. You have to run like a, a lightweight version of it that isn't really verifying everything. And so in order to make sure that the network uh, remains completely trustless and verifiable in that way, it's important for the base software to actually be able to run everything on commodity hardware. You know, we don't want everybody to have to require 256 gigs of RAM and you know terabyte of this or that uh, to be able to to run everything. And so, my main focus, primarily up to this point, has has been on consensus changes and optimization of the software to make sure that it remains scalable, that it's both fast now and that it remains in the future. And uh, so that's that's the primary focus. The other thing is is really when it comes into consensus, offering support and uh, thinking ahead about well, how can these changes be used from a use case perspective? Like, what do we need to be able to uh, uh, enable new use cases? Like, if, do we need new opcodes within the scripting system? Um, what does the implementation look like or integration efforts? Is it is it hard or do we need to make this easier for people? So a lot of it is really, at the, like I said, that base level, but aimed towards supporting the kind of next level up, which is where more people tend to to uh, interact with yeah I mean, that's absolutely amazing out, out of interest this is just coming as i'm as i'm hearing you speak how many um developers are currently working on on similar things that, that you're doing where obviously people like myself maybe exodus we're not we're working at decredit on level rather than the, the base level how many people right. are, are working on these implementations so let me, I'm thinking here. So yeah, but, uh, I'd say it's about, it's around five to six people that tend to work on it. Uh, I would say two to three of us tend to do a little bit more than the others, but you know, in total, there's like six of us that, that work on this level of things. That's amazing. 
that's that's amazing um thanks dave for for that information that's that's absolutely great and, and guys if you want to chip in at any point on the chat please please feel free to um we're going to move on to the um revert treasury um expenditure policy and just see what that's about and and just kind of look at how this is working towards decentralization so that is the the, the first question but let, let's just find out what it is first obviously we've had um, two consensus changes revolving around the, the Treasury. If you could give us a bit of background on, on what happened with the first one and why the second one was so important, that'd be great. Sure. So originally, uh, you know, we've even back when we very first came out with Decred, we had a plan that we let everybody know that we wanted to make sure that everything ultimately became decentralized. And uh, it was, you know, a phase plan because coming right out of the gate with everything, you know, perfect and fully decentralized is, is quite difficult. And so we always knew that there were certain aspects that needed to be further decentralized. And one of those was the treasury. Um, in the past, this is no longer the case since the consensus changes, but originally the the central or the treasury at the time wasn't decentralized it was more centralized in the sense that it went into uh, what boils down to a multi-sig wallet so you needed multiple signatures from multiple people in order to spend it but that's still fairly centralized i mean yes there's multiple people but not very many right so you know it's a centralized group of people who control it and so you know we wanted to make sure ultimately that that isn't the case so that the stakeholders are actually the ones who are the ones in control of, of being able to spend from the treasury or not and so the first uh, decentralized treasury consensus change was all about that. It was making sure that the, this, that the ability to spend from the treasury was given to the stakeholders so that they can vote on the spend transactions. We call them treasury spend transactions. Um, and that, that they actually are in line with what the proposal system, Politea, and the contractor management system that actually runs behind that. Uh, and so make sure that all of those payments line up and then the stakeholders vote on that. Um, so that was kind of the, the thrust of what it brought, uh, of its purpose. Um, as a part of that process, when we very first put out the initial proposal on Politea, I guess I should back up a little bit and describe the process there for people who aren't familiar. Consensus changes are things that affect everyone in the ecosystem. Uh, so you know, you have your full nodes, then further you have all of your wallets, you have your exchanges, you have your miners, you have your stakers. Uh, basically everything ultimately is completely uh, affected by any consensus change. So as a result, it's really important that that process of, of consensus changes is, is well-defined, has good governance around it. There's not just one or two people that are deciding everything, you know, it's actually, it goes to the stakeholders and they decide what, which changes happen and which ones don't. And so, but in order for that process to take place, you have to start somewhere. And so the way that we do this in Decred is that we start with the proposal system. And so you have an, somebody has an idea and they put out a proposal and says, this is the basic um, outline of what I propose is changed to, to the consensus rules. Here's the details of it, uh, you know, it, it, to the best of our, of, of our ability without having actually written the code. This is the general outline. And, and so the... Part, the issue there, not really issue, but one of the downsides or one of the challenges there is the fact that you haven't written the code yet. So it's, you can kind of envision that I think things should work this way. This is what I want to do. And then when you actually get into writing the code often, you know, it doesn't quite work out that way. There's some, some specific details that have to be changed or implemented in a slightly different way than you had originally envisioned. And so in terms of the decred treasury, the centralized treasury, what happened there was basically we originally came out with a proposal, which was the big idea. In the comments, a lot of stakeholders had some feedback regarding the spending policy. Uh, sorry to to uh, change a topic. I don't want to really change the topic, but uh, the 
one of the I kind of have to describe a little bit of the details here, and that is the case that the part of the of implementing the decentralized treasury was that we wanted to make sure that there was some controls in place uh, to prevent if somebody were to hack it or if there were some bugs or some issues like that to make sure that the entire treasury couldn't be stolen. And so part of the proposal included some spending limits, uh, essentially a fiscal policy baked into the consensus rules. Uh, the original one that we had proposed was effectively that you could only spend up to 50% of how much ever was uh, accrued into the treasury during the previous month. Um, in the comments, uh, various stakeholders brought up that, you know, well, how about this method, different methods, and some differing methods. And so based upon that feedback, we, we decided that, uh, okay, well, we're going to change the proposal slightly, and we're going to make it, instead of being based on the accrued amount, uh, or 50% of the accrued amount, we're going to make it where you can't exceed the previous month's spending plus an additional 50%. And so this was the, the idea. Um, then when we went and implemented that, so, like I said, you know, the details are, are devil's in the details, as they say, right? This is where things yeah. <laughs> get, get, get a little bit more challenging. And so we, we implemented it. And then, you know, we realized while we're doing this, okay, well, so if you can only spend 50% more than the previous spend, you need a bootstrap amount, right? You need a, somewhere to start because otherwise you're starting from zero, 50%, zero, zero. <laughs> so, right? so, of course, you, you have to start somewhere. And so, you know, what we did is we implemented an initial bootstrap amount that we looked at the total amount that had been spent and, and, you know, since the inception of the project. And we said, okay, we're going to increase that by a little bit and we're going to set that as the bootstrap amount. Uh, and uh, ultimately, you know, so that's, that's what happened. So now you fast forward and when the vote passed and the, tre the decentralized treasury code and the consensus changes uh, became active, we wanted to test the system to make sure that things work before we just started sending out big payments because maybe you know the, the payments wouldn't arrive something goes wrong and we didn't want those coins to get lost or have any issues and so we did a an initial payout uh, of a small amount to make sure that things worked but what we there was a slight bug in the implementation that instead of uh allowing the bootstrap amount to work across all the summed amounts it was again uh, it was only against the last one and so ultimately, essentially what happened is that small amount capped the amount that could be spent to like, I think it was one and a half decred or something really small. It was some amount that obviously wasn't enough to pay, but we left ourselves room in case something like that happened. We made sure that we didn't transfer all of the funds out of the legacy existing decentralized or, or the, that's well, really centralized, but that of the existing legacy tre treasury into the decentralized treasury. And so it wasn't really a big issue in the grand scheme of things. We just continued making the payouts out of the legacy treasury. And then we created this new consensus change, which basically reverted the policy to the initial one that we proposed, rather than trying to do the the other one that was that came out of the comments that led to issues. And that's yeah. basically recap of it. It's, it's something that I appreciated that, that was happening at the time. And I, and I thought this is really quite clever because you'd obviously left the, the, the main treasury or the, the original treasury in its, in its entirety and, and kind of obviously then, then ported over the new, the new funds. And I thought, you know, that, that's quite, that's quite clever. And in fact, if something does go wrong, you're not just going to kind of lock all the funds away or, or lose them or, or whatever. So I thought that was great. Um, and then obviously recently we've, we've seen all of the funds porting over and we're due for the first T spend um, th this time, isn't it? This month. So that should be, that should be really, really interesting. Um, sorry, Exus, I've taken up all the space. Did, did you want to say anything? <laughs> no, it's okay. Go ahead. You're doing, you're doing wonderful. 
Cheers. So um, if you don't mind, I actually did want to touch on one other thing about this topic, though, is that I think that, you know, this kind of highlights uh, one of the big things that we always bring up is that how important it is if somebody's going to make a proposal dealing with some type of consensus change or technical change, how important it is that you actually have a development team willing and ready to, to do the work. And, uh, you know, the reason that we do that is precisely this type of thing is that it's relatively speaking, it's quite easy to create a, a proposal on Politea that just says like, hey, well, you know, we should create this proposal. You know what we should do? We should make it so that Decred can be spent on Saturn with zero delay. Well, yeah, I mean, that would be nice, but like, how do you actually do it, right? You know, so you actually have to have developers that have, uh, you know, the the capability and and the really the wherewithal to to figure out those all of those details because just making a proposal that's a general idea that doesn't have the details without somebody to actually get into the nitty gritty of, of doing it uh, really isn't very helpful in the, in the grand scheme of things. So in, for those of you who wonder why we kind of push for that so much to say that, you know, we really only want proposals from people that, that are backed by development teams uh, or people that are willing and ready to do the work. This is exactly why, because even when you have people who <laughs> have, are pretty experienced and are willing and ready to do the work, if you just start with this, you start with this idea, when you go to implement it, um, things aren't always the same as whatever you originally thought they were going to be. In fact, they're often not. There's usually some little small detail that has to be changed. Or, and, and so I just wanted to bring that up because I, I know that um, one of the things I've seen people say so, and many, on many occasions is they've criticized the fact that, you know, well, I'm not a developer, so why can't I make a proposal? It's like, well, you can, but if nobody's going to implement it, you know, it's, it's really not going to go anywhere, right? No, I, I, I kind of like this philosophy. And one thing that impresses me about Decred, and, and this goes way back when, is is the fact that they, you guys are so open to having different development teams. Whereas you see this in, in so many other communities, not not just cryptocurrencies, but but other software development, you see no you see no developers doing. It. And I, and I love this point. Is um, and even with um, Radar's current proposal, where he's bringing on board a new a new wallet or a different kind of wallet in a different implementation, and it's just really encouraging to see. And I really like I really like that actually. Um, there is just one more one more question for this, and then we'll move on to the next one. It just says here, um, as a stakeholder, what will be the process for verifying treasury payments now? Right. So the there's basically the the way the process works is a, there's a we call it the pi key but essentially it's a public key that uh, that authorizes the treasury or the politea instance really to spend out of the decentralized treasury um, in addition so there's there's two main conditions i'll say at a high level that have to be satisfied in order for uh, treasury spend to to be accepted by the network one of them is that it has to be signed by that key that is the proposal uh, the politea instance and that's called the pi key and then the other one is that there's actually a, a majority of yes votes from the stakeholders that, that vote against that transaction and so uh, part of one one way that it is done is that you can specify that i want to just accept by default I'll accept all spends from the proposal, uh, from the PI or the Politea instance, uh, the proposal system. And, you know, it's a fairly easy way and a way that stakeholders can kind of, uh, you know, say like, well, I trust the fact that these proposals have already been voted on by the stakeholders and therefore the budgets are already determined by it. And the system is creating these treasury spend transactions based upon all these budget amounts. And so therefore, you know, I, I, that's good enough for me. 
for other people who want to dig in a little bit more, then every single time that there is a treasury spend transaction, you can actually look at the transaction. It gets uh, broadcast to the network. It's not part of a block or it's not mined yet, but it is available in the, it's called the mempool, but basically it's uh, transactions that haven't been mined yet, unconfirmed. And so you can look at that actual treasury spend and you can see all the outputs, all the amounts that are being spent. And if you want to cross-reference it against the uh, against the proposals, that are the active proposals, um, you can dig in as much as you want to there. And it, if that's the case, part of what you can do then is the every transaction spend then has a, a hash. It's a unique value that identifies it. And then you can vote directly or specifically on that uh, that transaction. So, you know, I, even though I, by default, I want to accept all treasury spends from the Polite instance, I, you know, I, I don't want to accept this one. Or you don't have to accept all by default. You can manually say, I, I want to review every single one and, and do that. So those are the, basically the, we try to make it where there's kind of a sliding scale because, you know, as much as it would be awesome if every single stakeholder went and looked and, you know, scrutinized every single one, it's not going to happen in reality, right? You know, you're going to have people that are uh, don't have the time. One, maybe they're super busy that month on vacation, whatever the case is. And so, you know, we we wanted to basically give people the ability to say, like, okay, well, what level of uh, you know confidence do I want to place in the proposal system? Yeah, that's. I mean, I think that's amazing. It's it's one of the things I was I was thinking about, and I had on my mind about what if one of the proposal people actually went over their budget, and it's something that I'm not. I mean, if it's out of your your area, don't, don't worry too much. But it's one thing I was worrying is if someone went over their budget, what what actually happens then? Is there a mechanism that shuts that down, or is that something that um, I don't know? Yeah, what do you think? Right. Well, yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, I don't really work on that particular side of it too much. But I, but basically, what happens is there are Politea admins who review everything, and so if uh, you know if something were to to go over the budget then it just would be capped at the budget. I, I know that that's the current model that they're working under. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, I, I think another kind of important thing to keep in mind here is that there's there are always real world limitations in, in any kind of these things. And so it is very much obviously decentralized now and, and you know, nobody can spend from the treasury at all without the approval of, of all the stakeholders now, uh, which, is, which is fantastic. Um, but at the end of the day, you do still need some uh, interaction and involvement from humans here. Uh, the system has, for, for the type of reasons that you mentioned. So sure, you know, obviously the system has budgets associated with proposals and it's going to automatically generate the spending transaction based upon uh, the amounts that were billed by the contractors and take, in, and take these uh, types of limits and the budgets into consideration. But you know, in the real world, things happen, right? I mean, maybe somebody, uh, you know, isn't able to bill that month because, like I said, they're on vacation or, heck, maybe somebody died and you have somebody new that has to take over. And, you know, I mean, there's things happen in the real world. So you definitely need some level of human involvement. Uh, and and effectively, you know, I guess the the sort of easy answer or the, the, the best answer to that question is that if there are these sort of edge conditions that pop out of it, it gets handled by a human or humans, really. It's more than one. Yeah, no, it was it was something that I was unclear about. I saw it on the on the actual proposals that the limits. I, th I thought that might um, be the case, but that's, that's from what I understand. The proposal owners are the ones who actually go in and check to make sure it doesn't go over, right? So yeah, so you do have that that human element of yes, proposal owners when they make that proposal and it gets approved, they take responsibility for that proposal. So yeah, 
Right. And then there's also checks after the fact, like I said, before the treasury spend transactions go, go out, the admins actually look at it and, you know, to kind of just double check and make sure that any of the proposal owners aren't necessarily trying to game the system or anything of that sort. Mm -hmm. Hopefully nobody would do that, but you know, <laughs> let's be real. It makes, <laughs> yeah. It makes sense to check. No, I think, you know, ultimately, you know, it's, it's not about trust, is it? It's about making sure that it's procedural, I suppose, but um, yeah. trust and verify. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, no, that that's absolutely brilliant. Now, now we're on to, to your your area, and I've had many many conversations with Dave about um, hard forks and soft forks. So I, this area really fascinates me, actually. Um, so, explicit version upgrades is is the topic here. This is the the, the big one, as far as I'm concerned, um, where Decred has effectively become a hard fork only system, and to my knowledge, um, probably the only one doing it in a in a, in a kind of a um, procedural way I suppose where, where everything's taken care, taken care of but um would you mind just just going into that and just having a little discussion with that sure so the the primary thrust of this consensus change is that you know I, I know you've personally made videos on this topic but the effectively in the end it comes down to the difference between soft forks and hard forks and this is a fairly uh, misunderstood topic, I would say, because I mean, I can even right now I can go do a search and one of the first things that comes up, probably the first five links that comes up, give information on them that's completely wrong. <laughs> and th that is that it talks about the fact it says that, well, soft forks are backwards compatible while hard forks aren't. That's just not true. And it can't be true. And the easiest way, I think, you know, I'll, I'll repeat it here, but you put it in your video as well. Uh, the reason that it can't possibly be true is because if you think about it, I can spend coins that were airdropped right now, right? So those coins were created in an older version of the software, but I can still spend them now. So how could I possibly do that if it weren't backwards compatible? You, know, you couldn't, right? So it, it must be backwards compatible. Uh, what, what the real distinction between soft forks and hard forks are is whether or not they're forwards compatible. And the, what that really means is that if you uh, have an older version of the software, can it still understand and work with things that were created with a newer version of the software? Um, and so on the surface, you know, this probably sounds like, oh, well, why not? If you can do it, it sounds like a, a decent idea, but it's really not. And it has a whole lot of issues with it uh, that relate to security and even the ability for integration and, and things to work. And so, and I'll, I'll go into a little bit of the technical details here, but I'll try to also keep it uh, high enough, uh, high level <laughs> enough to understand is that when, what this particular one focuses on is transaction versions and script versions. Uh, every time you send a transaction on the network, realistically, what that transaction is, part of the transaction is there's a script that's being run, uh, and that script imposes constraints. And so it has to execute, but there's a version associated with that script. Right now, it's version zero. Now, so what happens is that if you're going to, to add new capabilities to the scripting system that are not compatible with the old or with the existing system, you, you can bump the version number. And so what all soft forking systems do, all systems that are based on soft fork, and, in, and, and Decred did this as well before this most recent consensus change, is that if it sees a newer version that it doesn't understand, and, and of course this would be older software now that I'm talking about, you know, so this would be, I'm still running software from five years ago. So it doesn't know anything about those new version one scripts. So what does it do? Well, if you wanna support soft forks, remember the idea of this forwards compatibility means that you have to be able to accept and say, oh, everything's great to things that you don't understand because they didn't exist at the time that, that you were created, You know that this old version of software was created, those version one scripts didn't exist. And so because of that, 
what do they do? Well, they just say like, yep, it's great. I accept it. They don't run it. They don't execute it. They, could, they don't validate it. And they can't because they don't understand it. And so what ultimately happens then is people who are running older versions of the software then can get these transactions with newer versions and script versions that are new that they really don't understand. And they just rubber stamp it and say, yep, it's great. So people think when they're running this, their, their full node, yeah, I'm fully verifying everything. This is, uh, you know, it's great. It's fully trustless. No, it's not. Because now what you've done is you've really, you've transferred the trust over to the people who are running the new nodes. And you hope that you are connected to at least one or more of those nodes that understand the rules so that they can prevent bad behavior. So if I'm a bad actor and I want to try to, to scam you, well, I can try to partition your node, meaning I can try and make it so that your full node is only connected to an, other nodes who don't really understand the rules because the older versions, we'll call it that. And say, I try to make sure that I connect you with a whole bunch of older nodes who also don't understand it. And because of that, then I send you a transaction and you think that, oh, well, hey, great. This transaction looks good. I received the money. And let's say, for example, you're, you're running a physical store. So you're, somebody's buying shoes from you. They get the transaction. It, hey, it's great. It looks good. It, everything validated. And then they give them the shoes. And then when they connect up, finally, when they get to another node out there that's new, that understands it, the rules, is, oh, wait, this is an invalid transaction. And now, you know, you just got scammed. That's just one way. There's a bunch of attacks that you can do like this. So basically, though, what this then, with that kind of explained, the, what this consensus change does is it says that if I don't understand the newer version, it's invalid, period, to me, right? And so then what happens is, is all the person has to do is like, is just update to the newer version of the software. So when they update to the newer version of the software, that newer version says, oh, okay, I understand exactly what this transaction, you know, what this version means, what the rules are, exactly what I have to validate. And that's essentially what it does from a, a security standpoint. And then the second big thing that is kind of important as well, obviously, I think the security is the most important aspect, but also another thing that really kind of makes it nice is that if you start to think about terms of uh, block explorers, exchanges, wallets, uh, even stakeholder voting, these different things in the ecosystem, if you're not running a full node yourself, which a lot of times you're not, like, I mean, if you're running the Crediton, for example, in lightweight mode, you're not running a full node, you're, you're running the simplified uh, payment verification or SPV. Uh, the same thing, you know, you might look at block explorers, exchanges kind of do this type of thing. And so if you don't have the ability to actually go and look at the, the results of a vote, um, I think I skipped one little thing here for, for those who don't know. <laughs> when a change happens, there's a, there's a vote. And I have to point this out so that it kind of makes sense what I'm about to say next. Whenever this vote happens, though, it's obviously based upon the results of, uh, you know, whether or not it passed, how many people voted yes on it, for example. Uh, and, and depending on the system, if you talk about other coins outside of Decred, you can go to, to other coins. There's always some type of system in place that, uh, that, that effectively has a point where, you know, before this point, these were the rules. After this point, these are the rules, you know. And so there's, there's a point. Now, how do you determine what that point is? If it is in the case of say Decred, that process, as you know, all the stakeholders know, you have to, it goes through this long process where everybody has to vote on it. If there were enough votes, then it goes through a lock-in period and eventually it activates. Well, if I'm say running an exchange and I don't have access to all the full chain data, how do I know when that point is? I can't go count the votes, I don't have the data. And so you end up with this situation basically where you have to say, well, 
I'm dealing, say, if I go back to the script example, well, I see that this transaction that I just got has a version one script in it. But what that means, if you're under the soft working scenario, what that means then is that, well, it could have been rules before the change, or it could be rules after the change. And so you don't really know what which ones are active necessarily uh, easily and efficiently when you're dealing with these type of uh, non these these uh, scenarios and, and ecosystem components that actually don't have access to the full data. And so what this change does though is because now you can rely on the fact that like you know the network is going to outright reject all new versions that it doesn't understand. And as a result, you can use that version now as a proxy in all of these other ecosystem components as a very efficient and easy way to say like, okay, well, I know if this is a version one track transaction, this is exactly what that means. I don't have to worry about when did it activate? When did it not, or did it not activate? Maybe the vote didn't pass at all. So maybe version one transactions are completely invalid. Well, if you don't have the, the ability to reject those newer versions, if that isn't the standard, which is not under a soft working system, it really makes it much more complicated for anyone who wants to uh, integrate or even really uh, at, at a higher level, uh, even really uh, provide a nice user experience. Um, and for I can give you one example of the, the result of that that maybe is a little bit more uh, or I'll hit home or, or familiar to people is that if for those who are around, if you remember when the auto revocations uh, consensus change very first uh, was at, uh, became active, you'd still have a button up in the wallet in Decrediton to revoke tickets, but it didn't do anything anymore. Yeah. It didn't work anymore. And it's kind of like, well, why is this thing still there? Well, why? Because it doesn't know if the rules are active or not. And it couldn't know if the rules are active or not because it couldn't just use a simple uh, you know, check like based upon this version because it would actually have to go back and vote or count all those votes to figure out, well, is this thing active? But if you're in SPV mode, you don't have that data. So hopefully that kind of makes sense to, to pull back, but it, it makes it much easier and safe and efficient for even at a higher level for components and different uh, software systems and uh, to be able to say like, okay, I, I know that if I'm dealing with a version one script or a version one transaction or whatever, you know, the specific version is, I know exactly what that means. There's no ambiguity. Yeah. Uh, Dave, you, every time I talk, talk to you about this, it, it blows my mind even more. Now I had a, um, a Twitter, after I did my hard fork versus soft fork, I had a, um, a somebody tweet me about, so how comes, um, Bitcoin is now able to accept um, two meg, even though it's capped at um, one meg. And I think, I mean, I know obviously there was a soft fault there, but do you know anything about that one? Yeah, I do. So basically what they did is they created this thing called, you know, they, it's really, they're, they're tricking old nodes, but it boils down to it's a yeah. software. Uh, all nodes are no longer actually verifying uh, certain aspects and certain components. They created this thing called a virtual size. And essentially what they do is they discount, it's called discounting. But uh, even if the actual size of a transaction is say, you know, we'll call it hundred kilobytes, they'll say that, well, because this is using SegWit transactions or uh, well, using a specific form of transactions that we prefer, uh, we're gonna act like it actually is only 80 kilobytes instead of hundred. We're gonna give you a discount. And so then what happens is, is you know, for the, the people who are astute and listening to this, it sounds like, well, wait a second, then aren't they actually violating the one megabyte? Yes, they are, right? Yeah. And what does that mean for old nodes? Well, it means that they reject it. <laughs> so in reality, you know, you, you it, it was a consensus change that is not, realistically speaking, the old nodes, uh, they aren't validating it. This is what I was talking about before. They're going to yeah. accept it. They're going to act like it's true. 
it, it's really not. They, they accept it and they, they take it. Like if you get a new script version, these uh, that's called segregated witness that has a new script version associated with it. If an old node sees that, uh, it actually will just treat it as I was talking about earlier. It treats it as if it's valid without actually validating it. And that's how they, they kind of get around it. They trick old nodes, basically. It just, it, it blows my mind a little bit because obviously it was, it was sacred and I'd completely forgotten what it was called. But um, it, it blows my mind a little bit because obviously we go head, head back to 2017 when everyone's like, no, we can't increase the, the, the block size and all the rest of it. And then they're kind of sneaking these changes in, which is, is kind of hopefully how I understand what you were saying. It's Yeah, so it's it's a, it's a bit of a weird one. And, and certainly I don't like the idea of, of people that should be validating um, to not actually know that they're not validating. And, and you see this a lot. And I've, I've seen it over the course where people will just continuously run the old software, just believing it's true, just out of laziness more than anything, rather than do the upgrade. Whereas in, with Decred, that, that then becomes completely defunct and you have to be running the, the new software. And the way that I see that is is that so beneficial to make sure that whoever's participating, you've got 100% participation in the, in, in the new rules and those have all been cleared officially by the coin holders and and anyone that is participating i just think that's that's such a, a, a an amazing amazing achievement and and it, it still surprises me that that no one's picking up on this and i mean it just brings me on to my next question do you know of any other blockchains that are anywhere close to this because i've looked and i can't see any uh, I mean, I'm obviously not super familiar with every blockchain out there, but all the ones that I've looked at, and certainly all the most popular ones uh, by by the market cap, they don't work this way now. They they all pretty much either use a soft fork model, or they really just use the, the what I call like the dictator model, where basically a uh, you know some public figurehead just says uh, this will be, and that's it, right? And they make the change, and and then, and then that's it. So, but I don't know any of them that actually have a, the full-blown system that allows for you know these hard forking changes to be done in a safe way and in a way that's decentralized and not uh, that doesn't come down to you know one one person or one small group of people making all the decisions. Yeah, no, I, and I was saying I was I think I mean I've been doing a little bit of research into Monero. A lot of people have been talking about it on my on my Twitter feeds, and and one of the things they do. Was it, I think it was Monero where they do a hard fork only, but they have these like flag days where everyone has to kind of get in line by a certain day. And it's like, and, and I suppose that's almost like the dictator model, dictator model. Um, we're a bit quiet in the chat there, Exodus. Any, any, any news, any, anyone talking? <laughs> Give Dave a bit of a break from talking. It's oh, absolutely brilliant though, mate. Absolutely. Love yeah. It. Um, unfortunately, yeah, there's no questions in the chat, but we have a lot of questions from Twitter, from that Twitter thread you made. Uh, yeah, some pretty good questions. It's... See if we, Should we uh, just start keep going? On, for... Is there anything relevant for um, explicit version upgrades? Um, or, I don't think so. Should we, go, should we go off topic? Let's go off topic. Come on. <laughs> well, if, if you guys want to answer questions from uh, Twitter, I think that could that would yeah, be nice. Go on then. Hit, hit, hit us with one. See what the, okay, let me let me see. There's there were there were quite a few questions on here. Um, how subdows this is from dcr h3 la how subdows will be a thing use cases and challenges so what do you what do you think will, will subdows be a thing in decred is that for me or um <laughs> well i, 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 I think so you. yeah okay. we all right sorry i didn't know if you, <laughs> guys unless you don't want to answer because he was talking about <laughs> uh, no that's fine uh so yes i i'm pretty sure uh yeah i i do believe uh that's gonna be the case again i'm not actively working in that area right now that's more of the the politeo devs that are, that are kind of working toward that in fact i think uh there was some an episode with luke who was talking on it but yes um you know but i do know a bit about it and 
uh, it is obviously something that we want to have happen. Uh, and there, you know, there are plans and even kind of an, a general idea of how or the, the, the specific technical ways that it needs to be implemented or could be implemented well uh, can be done. Um, if we want to talk about the actual challenges of, of doing that, this kind of comes into the there's sort of a, this is another one of those cases where you kind of have to do a little bit of a give and take uh, because ultimately the main model I think that if you look at uh, I'll just mention one of the, the big coins is Ethereum the way that it kind of works is that effectively everybody that wants to create uh, some you know application whether it would be like a sub DAO in the case of that they don't really have that exactly but you know essentially all of that data goes on the chain over there and that makes it it goes back to what I was saying earlier, it makes it extremely difficult or even really impossible for you to be able to verify that everything is actually valid. And, and, and if you want to bring up a new node, you essentially have to use like a snapshotting model or something that says, oh, I'm going to just assume everything is valid up to this point and call it good. Um, so if you want to be able to verify everything, you really can't put everything on chain. And that really kind of is the, the major challenge when you talk about any kind of sub DAOs or really sub chains or anything along that, that type of uh, scenario where you're adding these types of use cases in different uh, models on top of it, is that you really don't want to just shove everything on chain. And so what that means is that you need a, a mechanism to be able to ensure that it still stays secure and inherits the properties or at least the security of the primary or the main base layer in this case when we were talking about decred so you'd want to make sure that uh for example that it has all of the the the, the security provided by proof of work and proof of stake combined and so there's several different ways of doing that uh they all have pros and cons but primarily if you just want to generalize it and get up at the at the highest level the biggest challenge is really about, okay, so what do I do with all this data, right? Because there's all this extra data that the, that the sub-DAO is going to need. Um, if you take, for example, just take, uh, you've got, I don't know, a hundred different companies that are using their own version of a sub-DAO. Well, there's also, the, you know, the privacy aspect. Uh, you wouldn't want, if you're running a company as a sub-DAO, uh, you, you probably don't want all your financial information and everything visible to everybody else. So everyone kind of needs to be self-contained as well. And so that's another reason that you really don't want to necessarily put all your data on the chain unless you start talking about encrypting everything. And, and uh, like I said, there's, there's a very uh, deep topic and I could, could get super technical, but I've tried to keep it a little more high level in the sense of <laughs> that, but that really is what it boils down to as a challenge is like, okay, we need to silo the data off. You, you really want to. I mean, you don't have to. Uh, you can just throw everything on the chain like some of the other ones do, but you know, that comes with a lot of downsides that I personally don't want to see. That's me. Like, I want to see sub DAOs, but I want to see them done right. I want to see it done where all the information and data is actually siloed and every individual one is basically in charge, so to speak, of keeping track of their own data and their own rules that they want to impose as opposed to trying to do everything at the base layer and then, you know, just basically throwing your hands up in the air and saying, oh, well, I'm going to, you know, just let uh, somebody else worry about that. Now, the downside to that, of course, everything has pros and cons. The, the downside is, is that a lot of people actually want to be able to do that. <laughs> they want to just be able to throw their hands up and say, oh, I, I just created this new great application, look at it, and not worry about the fact that, oh, well, okay, well, what effects is this going to have? Like, what are the negative, what are the downsides of all this? And so if you're doing uh, any kind of system where you actually have the separation of data and you're not storing everything on the chain, you need to make it easy enough for people to 
where they don't have to worry about all the specific nitty gritty details. And so I think that's the, 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 the real challenge is that keeping it separate, but also at the same time, making it easy enough where people don't really have to do a lot of the, the, the repeat, we'll say it that way. So they don't have to keep implementing the exact same uh, you know, types of, of scenarios and, and rules over and over for every single individual one of these. And so, you know, I mean, the, 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 the main way to kind of go about that is you essentially create a, a template, so to speak, that handles all of the basic details and say, okay, so this is the starting point. And then, you know, once you have this starting point, if you want to start adding new rules on top of it or change this particular rule and so on, you, you can start, start from there and then make whatever modifications your specific subdial needs. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, we have, we have quite a few questions, I think, on Twitter. So if you, if you want to just answer these a little more rapid fire, that was a great detailed explanation. But yeah. Um, what's on your wish list of new blockchain capabilities, not including what's already in progress? I think the main thing I would like to see is going to be a more introspection capability so that covenants and, and extra spending constraints um, that uh, basically will enable a lot of new use cases. Okay, cool. Uh, could we see instant coin join over Lightning Network in the future? And what about atomic swap DEX orders over the Lightning Network? This is from uh, DCR Uncle on Twitter. Yeah, definitely. Um, that, that's. Uh, I, I think there's even work going on towards those towards those things. So yes. Let's see what else. I think we have a question on from YouTube live chat. He's a uh, little. Senseatmost asks if Decred had an SEO score that instead instead ranked ease of running, OS compatibility, speed to sync, speed to scan, hardware requirements, 30-day bandwidth, etc. Do you think it would rank in the top three? I think it would probably be number one. Okay. I'd say that without any kind of, you know, not, not just any bias. I mean, when you actually take all those uh, factors into consideration, and I have tested essentially every uh, coin in the top 40 at some point and uh, the the decred software specifically dcrd when it comes to syncing it beats them all it, particularly when doing a full sync um, you know handily yeah i know i know that dcrd repo is is one hell of a beast that is a lot of impressive work going on there uh, i believe there's another question on twitter asking uh, basically what you answered earlier what do you do in decred and uh, um as you said you you know, work on optimizations, DCRD, a lot of the, the backend stuff. Um, one more question on YouTube. Any public news on the new feature JYP has been hinting at? Was he just alluding to the current consensus <laughs> changes? So uh, JYP on Twitter has has alluded to a new feature coming. Uh, I don't believe it's consensus changes, but do you know anything about that if, if you'd like to speak about that? I'm not at liberty to talk about it too much, but I can say it's not a consensus change or not consensus changes, and uh, it's it certainly uh, it, it's, it's still coming, yes. Okay, cool. Sorry. Nice. <laughs> I know you guys like to know more about that. <laughs> You've just given us a nugget. We're just going to keep fishing on that now. <laughs> okay, let's see. Okay, this is from Ergeed Maith. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I'll, I'll, no, it's Karen. I was just going to do my little bit while you're finding them, that's all. Go on, you uh, what one project would Dave like to see most developed into Decred that's not already on the cards? Um, as far as projects, 
I think I would like to see uh, more things that are built on top of Lightning Network, for example, or doesn't necessarily have to be Lightning, but more layer two solutions uh, in general. Uh, one of the things that you know I, th I think that uh, that I personally have been looking at even a little bit more recently is is the fact that we constantly see people claim that you know for example the decred doesn't support smart contracts which isn't true it does and uh, but you know the kind of the the thing that we don't necessarily have is is an easy way for people to uh, make use of of the, the the features that are available kind of like a platform type thing so you know as far as projects are concerned uh, something like uh, rgb for example uh, which uh, you can look it up if you want to but essentially it's the ability to uh, do more um, smart contracts or more Ethereum style smart contracts and put it that way. However, it's done in a way that isn't directly on chain. And it kind of goes back to what I was talking about before about how it keeps the data separate and off chain and allows everybody individual. So, um, so that, I think that would be the big one, RGB. Okay. Uh, next question is from Thor Chad and he says, will there be ticket splitting? I believe our community has answered this many times over, but if you want to go ahead. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to happen at some point. Uh, there's actually an entire uh, document, a uh, GitHub document there, uh, a readme effectively that, that talks about the details of it. So, I mean, it, it's definitely going to happen at some point. I think everybody wants it. It's a, it's a matter of priority, really. And at the moment, uh, you know, with, uh, and this is just for me personally, like, I know this is an anecdotal uh, story, but I'll, I'll, I'll put it out there because I was just talking about this is that uh, everybody who I've talked to, you know, so to speak in real life, but in person, uh, everybody that I've talked to, I've actually asked this question before about, it's like, so, you know, you need about this many D credit at the moment or this much uh, in terms of US dollars, you need about this much to, to get a ticket. You know, would you be more interested in, in getting involved or investing if, uh, you know, if that amount was lower? Nobody has ever said yes. <laughs> not once uh it's always you know the, the the only thing that they've ever really said is like well okay well how much do i stand to make right uh, so yeah. it, it's so it and the reason that i bring that up is just that um that isn't to say that i, I don't want to take a split. i very much do and, I, and pretty much if you talk to anybody involved in the project we all do but it's very challenging to do it properly because there's a lot of attack vectors that it brings up and to do it properly is a, is a pretty major engineering and, and development effort uh, and you know, to spend a whole bunch of time uh, of our time to work on that at the current time, in my opinion, I think that there's a lot more important things to work on or, you know, things that are going to get more bang for the buck, so to speak. Uh, but if there's somebody out there watching this who is willing to take it on and go do it, I mean, I'm 100% positive <laughs> that, you know, the vote would pass, like you, you could get funded to do it because, I don't think anyone that I've talked to is like, no, I don't want ticket splitting. It's always, it's, it's about the, you know, okay, what are the trade-offs? What are we going to not be working on in order to work on that? Okay. Yeah. Let's see. Next question is from Bison Boater. He asks, I would enjoy hearing more about his past. What drove you to crypto? How do you keep your intellectual fires burning and remain a top coder in the space? And does it hurt being so smart? <laughs> we, did, we did that on the first one, but yeah. I think I did that on the first one. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really, I think, touch on the intellectual fires uh, part. But the main thing I do there is, you know, I mean, really, I, I love this stuff. I see that there are so many benefits in, to it. And a lot of the, 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 the sad thing to me, one of the things that I, I personally actually makes me quite sad is that almost all of the, the features that really are, kind of, are great for, 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 for cryptocurrencies or what they bring to the table 
almost none of them are actually being used all that much in practice. You know, most of the time, people still just keep their coins on centralized exchanges and they treat it like, you know, to gamble with, right? Like, uh, you know, I mean, there, there's obviously more and more use cases coming out, but the, the amount of things that cryptocurrencies uh, actually enable and, and bring to the table are so much more than that. They don't really get taken advantage of too much. So part of the thing that I do that to, to basically stay on top of and keep the, the intellectual fires burning, so to speak, is I read a lot of uh, academic research, academic papers that that are kind of like where things are could go or, or might be going, uh, a lot of new uh, structures and, and things that could solve some of the challenges in, in terms of you know basically a user experience as well as scalability and things like that. So essentially uh, staying on top of the latest research and, and even you know, conducting my own research and thinking about uh, ways to, that, uh, that things can be improved. That, that's the main way that I go about that. Okay, excellent. Um, this one, next one is from Karamble. He says, do you have any wishes for community initiatives? Well, yeah, so this, that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, this is something that actually I wish would happen more. I think one of the... Uh, kind of misconceptions that I see a lot is that uh, perhaps, and maybe it's not the case, but I see the comment made often enough that maybe it's a misconception is that uh, I think people have the idea that, you know, only those of us who are already actively involved can, can do things. And that is not at all the case, right? You, you know, you don't need our permission or anybody's permission to go and build, uh, you know, if you want to do things, uh, whether it's development or not. I mean, if you want to start meetups, for example, Go ahead, right? Do it, right? Please <laughs> go right ahead. You know, these community initiatives. So yeah, I, I definitely would like to see a, a lot more community initiatives and in in not so, doesn't necessarily have to be from a development uh, standpoint at all, but just in, in general, uh, di trying different things, uh, getting involved, you know, part of the, the other challenge of that is, is that you don't necessarily have to put a proposal up, for example, unless you're looking to get, paid from the treasury. Um, and I think that's another misconception is that, you know, I, I, I think actually one of the questions I've seen and maybe asked later is that, you know, how, how do we, for example, this feature that's coming up, like, well, how are we developing that without uh, the stakeholders voting on it? You know, if, if, if is well, I'll tell you why, because we're not charging, <laughs> we're doing it for free. That's why, because we don't, we didn't ask for anything from the treasury. We're self-funding it. So if you're not asking for anything from the treasury, you don't, need to ask the stakeholders permission to do anything right if the so the, the 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 voting and i guess this is kind of the important point of this is that the the voting in decred or the the, the proposal system really only covers two broad aspects one if you want to get funds from the treasury and two consensus changes because those affect the entire ecosystem aside from that you want to build a use case on top of it you think that uh, for example you'd love to see nfts on decred okay adam Right, you, you don't need consensus changes for them, <laughs> and if you're, you know, you if you want to get paid or try to get uh, the treasury to pay for it, well, now you need to make a proposal. But it isn't necessarily the case that you absolutely need the stakeholders' permission uh, at all to to do things. So yeah, so I definitely like to see more community, uh, you know, programs and efforts. Okay, right. Um, we have a few questions kind of regarding the 1080 uh, 10 split. Um, I guess the first question is, how are we doing with security? And I, the second would be, does, do you think TS is going to run out of DCR or, or have they run out of DCR already? Do you think? 
So far security, everything is perfectly fine. I mean, it's still uh, actually, you know, much more secure than a pure proof of work chain would be even at the higher level of uh, hash power. Um, you know, the, the actual amount of hash power that we lost is pretty close to being right in line with what I would have expected at first. Um, you know, is obviously it's also going to depend on the price. If, if the price goes back up uh, more than you know, the hash power is going to, going to raise as well. I ultimately expect that it's probably going to end up roughly about where it was beforehand because all those miners that turned off due to being unprofitable, uh, you know, if the, the, the price goes back up during the next bull market, well, they're going to become profitable again. And then some of that hash power is going to turn back on. Uh, you know, I mean, perhaps people are going to just throw them in the trash heap, but you know, unlikely they'll probably just set them off to the side and then eventually. So I expect ultimately the hash power is probably going to end up going back to where it was, but nevertheless, um, you know, to, from a, a purely quantitative perspective, uh, a perspective, we could lose even another 10, 10 times the hash power that we've lost already. And it would still be more secure <laughs> than the, than for example, Bitcoin. Uh, so, you know, because of the hybrid system, it's, um, you know, the, the security definitely isn't a concern as far as that's concerned. Um, what was the second part of that? I'm sorry. You had a second part of the question. Um, it was about the, the amount of DCR, the, the suppressor or TS still has, you think. Right. Um, so that actually gets a, a, you know, a bit more challenging because of the fact that one of the things, you know, we kind of talked about is that there's a certain amount that is, you know, undeniably ha has, uh, belonged to the same entity. Um, after that, then the point that we're at right now, it's kind of more like a heuristic. So you know, I can guess. Uh, you know, based upon some heuristics, but I really don't like to do that too publicly because of the fact that it's it's just that it's a heuristic. And at this point, you know, so the the, the information that uh, we have verified and have uh, you know and that I've stated on several occasions publicly is undeniably the case. Uh, the amount that they have left, um, I mean, you know, it's it's definitely. Uh, I would say that they they still have some left. Uh, it it isn't it doesn't appear to be all that many. But like I said, realize uh, you know with the caveat. That is very much a heuristic based upon, you know, some assumptions that had to be made uh, because of, uh, you know, things like mixing and things like that, uh, that type of thing. So, we, you know, it's not possible to 100% tell now uh, exactly. Um, but another data point, I guess I could bring up that, that kind of points to, to what I was saying or, or supports it to a certain degree. Uh, if you look at the amount of coins that are going through the decentralized exchange and moving into stake, uh, since the, the since the change, I mean, it's almost gone down proportionally exactly to the reduction. So, <laughs> you know, it's 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 fairly likely at this point that it's most I would say mostly, uh, you know, that they're getting pretty low. However, again, uh, you know, the exact amount or if that's actually the case, uh, you know, I will say that is it's an educated guess, but it's one that is a guess nonetheless. All right, we have a new question on YouTube. Um, this is again from Little Sensi Most. The contractor rate keeps many US folks at bay and seems to rely on passion as an incentive. Is the only way I can get my six figure salary by grinding a year as a contractor than delivering a pie proposal as a lump sum? Uh, and I'm not sure if I read that correctly or was read wrong, but I get basically, the <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I guess I, I could partially answer this when, I mean, when you submit a proposal on Politeo, you request how much money you're going to get. So no one else is determining how much money you're getting paid. So if, you know, technically, if you want to get paid six figures, you can just request that in your proposal. So, yeah. Right. Well, so I guess 
what I would point out here that that's exactly right what, what Exodus just said. But the other thing to keep in mind is that you're you're what you're kind of talking about is there's kind of two different um, you know things. You have like sort of the more like you mentioned the the lump sum type uh, scenario where you have a proposal, and then you also have the sort of more core maintenance and uh, coming on board to work on existing proposals. So. You know, when you want to work in certain areas that already have existing budgets established and existing proposals, uh, the rates are going to effectively be whatever that proposal set them at to begin with. Um, and so, yeah, so you you know you could use a, a new proposal. Um, I, the other thing I would say, and this just you know this is me personally, but there is a big difference depending on uh, you know what it is that you're working on and and, and what you're doing. I mean, um, at the risk of sounding sounding bad here. Uh, if you're working on like super hardcore cutting edge technology that, you know, there might be 20 people in the world who actually understand it, you can request a higher amount, obviously. If you're doing maintenance type stuff that is essentially fixing comments, um, that's valuable, but expecting to get paid six and seven figures to do that? No, I, I mean, I would never support that <laughs> personally, right? So, so what I'm getting at here is that, you know, if you have a really great idea and you have a certain proposal like Exodus mis uh, mentioned, by all means, you know, you can put in the proposal and request to be paid whichever you want to be paid. Uh, if you're going to be coming on board to an existing proposal that deals with something like core maintenance, where it's mostly just, uh, you know, uh, more uh, or e more easily done type of things or things that more people can do, uh, the rate's obviously going to be lower. Okay. Uh, DCRH3LA asks, uh, do you think the Bitcoin killer narrative was counterproductive in regards to Decred's marketing? Well, so this is one of those fun things that, I, I mean, Decred marketing, I don't know that, or at least I can say that I personally <laughs> never, uh, you know, signed on to that type of narrative. So part of the thing about Decred being decentralized is there have been various narratives and there have been various teams and various people out there trying to, you know, uh, trying out different narratives and different uh, approaches. Uh, you know. I, I personally, I mean, I, I don't think the Bitcoin killer narrative is a very good one because uh, Bitcoin is pretty well entrenched. And uh, even, though, even though obviously Decred has a lot of advantages and it's, and it's better than Bitcoin on a technical level in, in you know, pretty much every, every way, from a standpoint of, for example, just availability on exchanges or lack of availability in the, in, in the, in the case of Decred, uh, you know, it certainly isn't going to kill Bitcoin in, in, in that regard. But I, I, yeah, no, I, I don't think that's a particularly good narrative. Yeah, yeah, Decred Society. Do you have any questions uh, from this Twitter um, thread you'd, you'd like to ask? Um, we've pretty much covered everything. I just want to make sure Dave's okay for time, really. Are you okay to run on for about, about another five or ten minutes? Sure. Yeah, cool. Um, no, you, you carry on. I, I can see that they're, they're coming through, so no, this is absolutely great, and I'm, I'm loving just to hear it and kind of absorb it, really. So, yeah, that's absolutely brilliant. So who's next? Okay. Um, okay, this is from DC, your uncle. Realistically, should community members set up mix or deck servers, or is it better to wait until the mesh uh, network is available? Yeah, I would say probably wait until the mesh network. I mean, nothing is stopping community members from doing that if they want, but the downside to doing it at the moment is that because there's no communication between them, you'll end up splitting the anonymity set, uh, which means that basically it would result in, in slightly worse privacy. And so, I mean, you know, if there's uh, enough interest and somebody wanted to set one up and they had enough people uh, to keep the anonymity set high enough, you know, by all means, 
Uh, but uh, but once the actual uh, mesh network is mentioned is in place, then you know definitely I would I would uh, advocate for a lot more community members setting them up because you you'll be sharing the same anonymity set at that point. Okay, one more question: How can one script revoke old re unrevoked tickets for everyone? What's that script doing exactly? <laughs> sure. Uh, so. I guess because we didn't really talk about the automatic revocations consensus change, uh, <laughs> the, the way that it's doing is that it's because of that consensus change. Uh, and I'll, I mean, I, it, maybe I'll write up something if somebody wants that goes more into the details. But the, the basically the reason that it that it is able to do that is because the consensus rules uh, changed specifically to allow it. <laughs> that that's what it comes down to. Okay. Um, how would you assure a paranoid stakeholder that treasury funds are protected from spending outside the intended approval process slash uh, theft? Are they at risk at, be, at being stolen, the uh, treasury funds? So from a purely uh, theoretical technical standpoint, I mean, obviously everything could theoretically be hacked. Uh, you know, if there's some bug or something like that. So from that perspective, I mean, it's obviously it's, it's always possible. Uh, practically speaking though, I, I don't see that. No, because the, like I said, there's before, there's really, you know, two main conditions that are required to be met. Number one, you need to have the transaction uh, signed by the proposal system to begin with. So, you know, it, not you can't just create a treasury spend transaction and then try to, you know, trick stakeholders into, <laughs> into voting for it, right? It has to be done by the proposal system. That's one of the conditions. And then the other one is the fact that, yeah, well, you need everybody to vote on, obviously all the stakeholders to vote too. So in order for somebody to say hack this and be able to steal from the treasury, uh, you know, you would actually have to bypass somehow both of those, which would mean there would be probably identifying somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 12 uh, exploitable bugs all in the same code paths, which probabilistically speaking, yeah, no, very unlikely. Okay, this is from Ronnie Amato. He, he asks, um, what do you think of custodial solutions? Uh, do you think Decrypt should help facilitate the creation of a custodial solution? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. So yes and no. Uh, yes, in the sense of like, Oh, well, I guess I'll start with a no is that part of the, this is what I was mentioning about before. I think part of what draws me personally to cryptocurrencies and what I like most about them are the properties such as that you're your own bank that, you know, not the whole idea of, uh, you know, you're the one with the keys. So, if, you know, not your keys, not your coins, those kind of, that kind of a uh, mindset. That's exactly the mindset that I fall into. So from that perspective, I certainly say like, well, I would much rather that people learn how to, for example, use a decentralized exchange and never lose custody of their coins overusing a centralized exchange. However, I will say that yes, and the standpoint of as much as that means a lot to me, I also recognize that, you know, it really doesn't matter <laughs> to a lot of people as well. You know, they're, people are different. They have different uh, ideas, different requirements and different levels of security and privacy that they're willing to, to give up or that they require. So from that perspective, I think that, yeah, you know, I mean, having some type of uh, input into a custodial solution that is done as as decentralized as possible still custodial but not in a really bad way that just allows the the centralized custodian to just run off and steal everything i mean there are all kinds of uh, ways that you can do a uh, custodial solution that limits the the potential downside or the amount of, of damage that can be done and so I do think that it would probably be beneficial to, you know, actually kind of guide the the, the development of, a, of of some custodial solutions because there are people who do want those, 
And rather than leaving them at the mercy of uh, somebody potentially, or, you know, just a, of, of a, uh, just some random other project that may or may not care. Uh, I, I think that, you know, actually something that has a little bit more, uh, you know, trust put into it in the sense of like, well, you know, yes, it's custodial, but here are the limitations. I, I think that that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, socket eight, three, three, three asks, um, if you had infinite resources and a team to fulfill any vision, what would you want to build on Decred? Uh, probably a lot more uh, type of uh, uh, games or things in the uh, games. Games are incredibly pop uh, popular. They're something that a lot of people enjoy doing. And so, you know, I, I think that uh, that would be a, a really a, a nice thing to, to have where you're using Decred, you know, probably over the Lightning Network or some kind of layer two uh, and uh, actually integrated into gaming. Okay, that's interesting. I, well, I wasn't yeah, expecting that answer. <laughs> um, let's see. How does Decred prevent governance attacks? If plausible in the future, if Decred scales in usage, coins will largely be custodial, custodied, um, held by third parties. People may get better yields elsewhere, like ThorChain. Uh, and also someone could... Uh, this guy's got a, a typo, but could someone develop staking derivatives? Sorry, there's a lot, a lot of questions all over the place here, right. um, but I guess we can simplify this. As how does Decred prevent governance attacks? If in the future it scales and um, say you have custodial solutions where you have these big players holding Decred. Sure. I mean, I guess if you really want to kind of distill it down, the, the, the real question is, is, you know, it's about the security model and in terms of that. And, like anything, um, you could certainly dream up uh, scenarios under which that type of attack would be possible. You know, it's, it's effectively, you know, think of the 51% attack on proof of work. It's kind of the same principle here. It's like if somebody has enough of the stake or enough of the tickets, uh, then uh, certainly they could, uh, you know, perhaps conduct some certain types of attacks. But I don't think that it's necessarily quite as uh, cut and dried as, as what that those questions are implying in the sense of like, you know, just because somebody has a whole lot of stake or, uh, you know, the, a lot of stake is custodied. Uh, and, and I think the the just, or the thrust of that question there was that, well, if you have all these different types of uh, ways to stake, whether it's custodial or there's derivatives or these other scenarios, every time you have that type of thing, you're taking away from the number of people who are directly purchasing tickets, for example. I think that's kind of the thrust of the, of the, of the question. And so if you do that, and, and when that's the case, uh, well, so now, you know, well, how do you prevent, say, that custodial solution from using the, the people's coins in voting in a certain way? Uh, and so, like I said, from a theoretical standpoint, did that is a valid or a potential a way to attack. From a more practical standpoint, not necessarily, because remember, in order to get to the point that that even matters, a whole lot of things have had to come to pass before that. Uh, you know, a consensus change doesn't that would uh, you know basically do some kind of nefarious or negative thing to the network. It doesn't just appear out of <laughs> out of the ether, out of nothing. Right? There's an entire process that has to be go that has to to go, be conducted, and then you also need to have developers who are willing to do it. Uh, it has to go through the vetting process. Uh, that uh, you're going to have multiple people who understand this stuff that are looking at it. Uh, you'd have to convince a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of uh, you know other folks, not necessarily just stakeholders, but everybody, whether it's exchanges, uh, whether it's regular. 
people running the software, uh, everybody involved. You're going to have to convince them also that, oh, well, hey, you need to go run this other version that, that implements this, uh, this feature that we, that we think is great. Uh, and so then on top of that, then it actually has to go through the voting process. You have to actually, people have to upgrade the, the software. See what I mean? The, the thing is, is, without getting more into the process, the thing is there's an entire series of steps that all lead up to the point that if you got there and then theoretically after all of that, you had too many people with say a custodial stake and then that custodial staking wasn't voting according to the wishes of the people who had custodied their coins there, then that could happen. But it's, I, I'm not too concerned with it in the sense of, it's not just that just because you have a custodial solution or just because you have a lot of coins, that all of a sudden means that you get to conduct an attack. There's a whole lot more to it than that. Okay, we're gonna narrow this down to the final two questions. Um, one question simply is peer-to-peer uh, -peer -peer mixing, is it coming? Yes. Um, I believe it is, but yes, okay. <laughs> uh, do you know approximately you know, what time frame? if you could estimate? Uh, I'm not 100% sure, uh, but I do know that, uh, you know, a lot of progress has been made on it. And, uh, you know, from a, from a certain aspect, uh, you know, it's already working. The, there are corner cases and everything that need to be handled. So don't, can't say exactly, but, you know, it's sooner rather than later, we'll put it that way. Okay. And final question is uh, when marketing or, or I guess, uh, you know, what would you like to see from marketing um, for, for Decred to really kind of propel it? I know we're, you know, we're, we're in a bear market now, so marketing might be useless, you know, spending lots of money on marketing could prove to be very useless. Um, but, you know, what's your uh, thoughts or general opinions on, on marketing for Decred? Right. I mean, in general, I, I definitely think that this is where Decred is probably the weakest is in terms of marketing. Uh, but I also recognize I'm certainly not a, a marketing expert by any means. I mean, I'm a developer. In fact, uh, marketing is kind of like the antithesis to what I do. I, as, as I'm sure post, probably most everyone, in, even in this show, has noticed I have a tendency to get very technical about things. And most uh, marketing type of materials are at a much higher level that, uh, you know, more uh, emotive versus uh, specifically descriptive. And so I certainly uh, am really not the person to talk to too much about uh, like, you know, what we should specifically do in terms of marketing and everything that would be much better uh, suited towards somebody uh, who's, you know, good at marketing. That said, yeah, I mean, I, I do agree. I think that the Decred is pretty weak on the marketing front. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of it comes down to hype and getting people hyped up about things. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think we could use more what specifically to do. Not, I'll just have to defer to somebody who actually is good at marketing because I uh, that's not my area of expertise. Yeah. Well, Dave, thanks so much. Um, absolutely appreciate you for coming on and, and spending this extra bit of time just going through all the community questions. Guys in the community, don't forget to give it a like. Don't forget to subscribe. You know, this is this is important stuff. Having Dave on here today is taking up his time and and we much appreciate it. So just make sure you do that. Make sure you do those things. Um, Exus, do you want to sign us off? Anything you want to say? Uh, no, just thanks. Thanks to the community for the uh, questions and being, uh, you know, engaging with us on Twitter. Uh, keep up the good work. I know we're in a bear market. We just had this, you know, really exciting consensus change. So uh, hopefully things change. And, you know, as time goes on, more of that, you know, more of those coins are flowing into the hands of stakeholders uh, with strong hands and not necessarily proof of work miners who are hell bent on selling their coins. You know, uh, But uh, yeah, just thanks for uh, 
I'd like to thank the community for uh, engaging with us. Yeah, brilliant. And final word, Haskats, Dave. What do you want to say, Dave? Oh, just uh, had a good time. Thanks for inviting me again. And uh, yeah, hope everybody enjoyed the show. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, everyone. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>